$70 million is no joke. He changed not only his life, but essentially his entire family's life. Everyone related to him is now winning. Yes, and art history has an entirely new chapter. Yes. If you were hearing this, that means you were listening. This is our audio-only section. Just kind of use it to to talk directly to you guys about what's going on with us. Uh, Helps us kind of ease into the episode that we filmed. Yeah, it's kind of nice. It's also a nice little treat for those of you who are listening. Um, So, you know... If, if you are listening to this, you're, you're probably aware that we are now uploading this show to our main YouTube channel. It's been three weeks now. It's been three yeah. weeks. This will yeah. be our fourth This will be our fourth show. This is officially a month of uploading this show to our YouTube channel. It's been awesome. Yeah. And this is a strategy that we tested out first on a separate YouTube channel, mm-hmm. which was called the Colin and Samir podcast. podcast yeah. yeah. And you know what we found was these episodes were easier for us to make week to week and we found pretty decent viewership. Like mm-hmm. the average viewership was high. The average view duration was high and we were growing a lot in subscribers, which was exciting. But we realized that our main channel, which we've put so much work into was kind of just sitting there stagnant. And one of the reasons is because the, the primary show that we would do on our main channel is the breakdown. If you've been following us for, for a while, then you're familiar with the breakdown and um, it's just a hard show to make. It, it, it is a lot of effort that goes into that show, which makes it really cool and, and really fun to make. But definitely not capable of making that on a regular basis. And so we started to think about what are we capable of making? Because we want to have this be a conversation with all of you guys. Like the, the thing that has emerged itself as being the most fun is the community. And if we don't have a space to talk on a regular basis and just have open conversation, then we kind of lose touch. We always tell people that social media is a conversation. And if you want to take part, you have to have a way to take part that is easy for you so that you can actually do it on a consistent basis. And we've never had that. So we'd love to hear from you guys what you think so far about this new strategy, how we're uploading our, you know, these longer form pieces um, to our main channel. And then we started this clips channel and the breakdown is going to be, you know, kind of infrequent, but we're trying to figure out what the frequency of it is. Like, is it a monthly show? Is it something that we're going to batch as a season? Um, so that's something that we're developing. If you have thoughts on that, again, like we, a lot of this is based on, you know, the feedback and, and conversation that you have with us. So I feel like a lot of our community represents itself on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I see a lot of people talk about the show on Twitter and I do want to acknowledge a few people who have recently followed us on Twitter. Uh, one of them being Hank Green, which is super exciting, super cool uh, creator that we follow a creator who's done a lot in the education space would be a great person to have on the show. Yeah. I mean, that was really exciting. And I think that's like the, the the way that now our content can kind of move through the the internet is really cool um, because we do have more clips out there. Like we relate it to, I think you said this one time, like it's, it's like an athlete having highlights. Like the reason why Steph Curry is so dynamic is yes, you watch him in the game, but then like his highlights are cut up and put all over the internet. They're all over social media. Even if you don't watch the full game, you still are getting your dose of Steph Curry on like a regular basis. I mean, how is Steph Curry probably most often consumed through a highlight? Through a highlight, exactly. And so that's that's like how we've been thinking about it is that like, you know, we have these long form pieces, but then we have these highlights that go on. Uh, a couple other exciting things is we, if, if you've been following us, um, we did connect with Cody Co. That's super cool. And uh, we're going to be, you know, spending some time with him and hopefully have him on the show. That's definitely bucket list. And I think as we think through these bucket list um, guests and, and creators that we want to connect with, uh, we want to keep you guys informed because it's like, it's, it's a lot because of you guys that we get to 
connect with these people. Um, yeah, if so you're listening right cool. now, maybe send us a tweet with a, a creator or an artist that you would like us to speak to and have on the show. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of creators and artists, shall we get into it? Let's get into it. All right. So let's start with what happened. Like, this is a crazy story. I sent this headline to my brother. I sent it to a lot of other people. And typically the response I got was, please explain this to me. Like, what am I looking at? What does this mean? This artist known as Beeple, his name is Mike Winkleman. He's in his late 30s. He's a father. He lives in Wisconsin. He's been making digital art for a while. And for the past 14 years, he's been making a piece of digital art every single day. These pieces of digital art, because he's making them every day, he's able to follow culturally relevant trends. He's incorporating Trump or Kanye or Jeff Jeff Bezos. Bezos. Yeah. Uh, I look at these as like super memes, I would call them, because they're like beautiful. They are really pieces of artwork, but they're made quickly enough to interact with the world. But he's not necessarily making money from them because for a long time, the traditional art world did not see a way to really monetize digital art because for a while, you couldn't hold on to digital art. You can't prove ownership. Like anyone could take a picture of a JPEG and send it around. Well, one of the most interesting things is that the way he's been making money is as a freelance web designer and web developer, as well as a freelance video creator. Like he's been making these for um, artists like Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber, like tour animations. He was living a good life. Like that's, that's a big, you know, you can have a good career doing that. Yeah. But where he is today is largely because of the infrastructure that now allows for ownership digitally. Yeah. So about four or five months ago, Mike, aka Beeple, comes across blockchain technology, which does allow you finally to prove ownership digitally, prove that it's authentic, that it's a one of one. So what he does is he uploads 100 identical works to a marketplace that sells what are called NFTs. And we talked about NFTs. If you want to go deeper on them, our episode about Logan Paul, you can check that out. We'll put a link in the description. NFT stands for non-fungible token. And basically, once you upload an asset to the blockchain, it can be registered, certified as a one of one. And that's when it's known as an NFT. So that's essentially the, like, the certificate of ownership lives there in the blockchain and essentially is saying like, you own this unique asset, even though as all of you, I'm sure. And even my question was, wait a second, this is a picture. This is a JPEG image. Couldn't you just put it on your phone and now you own it? Like, yeah, but you could also do that with like a Basquiat piece or a Picasso piece. And you said, own it. You don't own it. You don't own it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have it, but the certificate of ownership is, you know, what you're paying for. So Mike uploads a hundred identical pieces of art. He issues them via a marketplace and immediately they start selling out. And I think at that time he, he already had like a million followers on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So he had a following to sell these NFTs too. And he had an understanding that $1 was cheap. Uh, But I think he was just experimenting, getting into the space. Yeah, I think he said that he knew they were worth closer to $50 or $100, which was interesting to hear that he had that price association in his head. But he was like, let's just, let's put these out for $1 and let's see. One of those pieces now goes for upwards of $300,000. And the interesting thing is that every time it resales, he gets 10% of that cut. So there's a royalty structure with NFTs and... The, the reason it's so dynamic is because of the blockchain. Like it's like a public ledger. You know when and where these things are getting transacted and you can automatically essentially have a kickback through these marketplaces for the artist. So setting a fixed price of $1, 
super cool. He gets to participate in the resale value, which is kind of the primary function of art, right? It's like people are buying it to resell it. And it's also something that happens just generally in like hype culture, let's say Supreme, you know, any of the streetwear brands. Resales are really dynamic, but the original seller doesn't typically get to capture the value on the resale. So in October, uh, one pairing of those NFTs went for $66,000, around $66,000. And then recently resold for $6.6 million. So clearly like the NFT space, the adoption of digital art into the traditional art world uh, is proven right there, that like something has changed. In December, he does another drop. And just that weekend, he gets up to $3.5 million in revenue from that one drop. That's insane. Wild. That's obviously where the traditional art market now can look at it and say, hmm, ownership matters in a very similar way that traditional art ownership matters, right? Mm -hmm. And like if everyone's probably asking the question, like, why does this ownership matter? What you have to accept is that human beings care about ownership. Like they care about ownership and art is this emotional experience and owning art is an emotional experience. And that's, that's existed for a long time. Oh man, there's a yeah. massive history of people valuing art. It's not that far off. What it needed was people to bridge the gap and technology to bridge the gap. To make on it own, rare. Yeah, to make it rare. And to make that unique aspect of ownership exist, which is now what? Nifty Gateway and all these other marketplaces and the NFT is now the way to say, you own it, I don't own it. So as long as you accept that and accept that ownership matters, then this all starts to make sense. He makes $3.5 million in a weekend and starts to turn some heads with the traditional art market. And a representative at Christie's Auction House, one of the oldest, most traditional auction houses that like still owns, I think, a Leonardo da Vinci painting. Like that's the type of auction house that Christie's is, reaches out. And the person who reaches out is a guy named Noah Davis. Joining us now is Noah Davis, Christie's specialist in post-war and contemporary art. Who just happens to be a member of Samir's high school band. He's the, he was the lead singer. Lead yeah. singer. Shout out to Noah, one of my best friends from high school. I texted him this morning about this and we, we were just chatting and I was like, wait a second, you were, like, you were involved in this? And he was like, yep. And I was like, wow. wow. So what's amazing is when you have someone young and innovative and plugged into the internet culture and just like understanding what's going on, he was able to see that people was valuable, right? And that, that digital art carried value. So your friend Noah takes a chance on Mike and, and comes to him with a potential opportunity. Mike comes back with this series of 5,000 pieces of digital art that were the first 5,000 he started to make when he, when he was making this daily content series. So they packaged the 5,000 together into an NFT, and that's what he comes back to Christie's with as a piece of artwork that could be sold at auction. The auction started at $100. Went to over a million within the first 10 minutes and now landed at over $69 million. Mike Winkleman is a rich man today. This definitely does validate this space. I hope it empowers digital artists to make interesting work. It is so monumental for the digital art world, but I loop digital creators into that. Like this is a big moment for the creator economy and for anyone who creates anything on the internet. A skeptic would ask why. We're not all going to be people. We're not all going to be making digital art, selling it for millions of dollars. Yes, I think there's parts of this that are a bubble, but I do think that this validated digital art at a scale that is um, going to cement it as it's real. It's a good investment. 
there's going to be some players of this that don't pan out if it's not good art, if the emotional experience isn't there, like people who are just selling random stuff, that's a bubble. But the other side of it, people who are able to build audiences, build brand, build perceived value are going to win just like other artists. The big sales, I think, are validating the small sales Mm -hmm. that we're starting to see. Uh, A friend of ours is a great creative named Red Gaskell, and he issued his first NFT and sold it for $6,500 is what the auction eventually came to. That is so meaningful. Yeah, of course. I mean, I looked at Red's tweets on Twitter. He's thinking, should I start paying off some of my loans? It's a smaller scale, but it's a similar type of example where a patron can now support Red Gaskell and believes that this will have value moving into the future. Our friend Daniel Inski from Mango Street made a video about making his own NFT and putting it out. Uh, That sold for $8,800. These are not small amounts of money. There is a trend taking place that includes, yes, NFTs and selling these digital assets, but also the way that audiences are learning to interact with digital art. This idea of like, wait, he's selling via auction at whatever price is the market really truly deems it's worth, Mm -hmm. not a set price. In the auction setting for anything that has to do with creators, the audience gets to define how much the creator is worth to them. And that is an emotional experience. The perceived value business operates in two ways, right? One is fixed rate. Let's say diamonds. Mm -hmm. Diamonds, we just assigned value to them as a society and decided that owning a diamond is worth something. But that's a story. That's a story we're all telling ourselves. And that typically trades at a fixed price. Now there's some labor involved. There's some stuff and people create fixed prices. You walk into a diamond shop and they're going to say, this costs $20,000. This costs $30,000 fixed price. What's happening now with this emotional experience of loving an artist, a creator, whatever, they're saying, how much is it worth to you? And when that happens, the prices can go anywhere and the market decides how much it's worth. We, years ago, did a pay what's fair model for a Yes Theory movie. We made a movie, released it to their audience, and said, whatever you think is fair, you pay. I was shocked by the different amounts people were willing to pay to watch this movie. There was people who paid upwards of $1,000 to watch the film. And then there were also people who were able to get in and have that experience at a price that was comfortable to them. Which was, you know, average was around $9. So it was like whatever was fair to you. But then you saw that there were people who, what was fair to them and what they felt, the emotional connection to the creator and to the project was way exponentially higher than what was asked, which was just anything. You know, our storytelling course has a set price. Right. To be honest, I wish that we sold our course as a pay what's fair model because I would love for tons of people to get access to it. But at the same time, I would love to have the opportunity for it to be valued higher if someone felt that it reached a certain level of value and they were comfortable to pay that amount. So here's the question. Would you buy an NFT? I'm definitely really interested in it for the experience right now. I would not put any money in that I couldn't afford to lose Mm -hmm. by any means. I'm not at a point in my career where I'm looking to speculate on art. Sure. You know, that's just not where I'm at. When it comes to supporting friends, actually, who are artists that I respect and admire, I'm more interested in it. Mm -hmm. Like if Red Gaskell were to issue another NFT. It reminds me a lot of being all in on your favorite brand when you were younger. I remember this emotional experience of saying, I was at this band's show when there was only 15 people in the crowd. Now they blew up. And there's no way unless I had like a photo or you know what I used to keep? 
the ticket stubs from the concerts I went to that had the dates on them. Yeah. And I would keep them so I could prove to someone that I was in on this band before they blew up. NFTs to me are like this modern form of this. Like whoever bought an early stage Beeple, today I bet you on Twitter for the next week, people are gonna be like, yo, I bought Beeple at $1, right? Cause it's like, I was in on this artist before he blew up, before he went mainstream. None of this made sense to me until I just accepted certain human experiences that I had that are important to other people and that this is a purely emotional experience. So when I think about buying an NFT, I agree with you. It'd have to be an artist that I really believe in or something cool. The same time, the more I see these crypto punks, the more I'm like, I kind of want one. (laughs) With increased exposure to things, you naturally want them. The only way the perceived value business carries any weight is if you build trust through social proof. Diamonds. Why do diamonds matter? Because we say they matter and we storytell and say on commercials that they matter. And you talk to your friends and they're like, oh, wow, he bought her a, you know, X diamond or he's got a diamond ring or something. And like, it's just social proof. So the more acceptance there is, the more the value is concrete. And NFTs are now starting to develop social proof where it's like someone bought it for 70 million. People are buying it for 10,000. That's just social proof that cements perceived value as value. And the cool thing is, is that there is value looped in in different ways. You look at the Kings of Leon, they issued Mm -hmm. uh, one of their albums, I think, as an NFT. And if you bought it, you also got access to front row tickets for their tours for Mm -hmm. the rest of your life. Yeah. What an interesting perk to being an owner of their art, of someone's art that you enjoy. And that's why I think it gets really interesting for creators is that we have an opportunity to issue a certain type of NFT that comes with membership value perks. So it's not just ownership for ownership's sake. Mm -hmm. It's ownership that comes with some things that can be valuable to you and and to your life and to your career. Far beyond NFTs, the digital world is now going to trade in a more auction-based space. And that's kind of how creators trade. When you're an early stage creator, you're trying to figure out your pricing. The price is defined by the market. Like, your first brand deal will tell you how much you're worth to brands. And then you kind of have a gauge if someone offers you. For us, like when we first started doing speaking engagements, I didn't know how to price it. But the first offer we got became our market value. Mm -hmm. And then you build from there. And that, I think, allowing for audiences to define your market value is really dynamic. It's going to push brands to have to compete with audiences Because the way a brand values a connection to a creator is very like prescriptive and like, okay, it might be CPM based or conversion based. The way the audience values connection to the creator is emotional. You look at even Cody Co and Noelle Miller and their Patreon, the 16,000, 17,000 people who subscribe to their Patreon, that's an emotional connection and saying, I want exclusive access. Cody and Noelle provide me value in my life. But there's no brand that would say 16,000 people are worth that amount of money. And so that emotional experience is strictly between fan and creator. And that's going to start to compete with brands' ability to get access to creators. Creators are probably going to turn to saying, these guys value me more. Like my audience values me more than, than you. Yeah. And why don't we transact in a way that can accrue value for members of the community as well? Yeah. Like you look at the Patreon, like you mentioned, for Cody Co and Noel Miller, there's 16,000 people in it. But that financial transaction is actually still just going one way. Mm-hmm. And it's fine because the audience is interested in paying that amount for an exchange of exclusive podcasts. Uh, and that's the exchange. That's what you're paying for. But uh, obviously, I think the way we're moving in the future is a type of exchange between creator and audience that allows 
both members to level up. And I think that is like super interesting, That's super great. exciting. So let's unpack that for a second. What you're suggesting is like, let's say Cody Co and Noel Miller had a token. If you paid that token, then you got all the perks behind the Patreon wall. Mm-hmm. But that token, there was a limited amount. So over time, the resale value goes up because in 10 years, someone else wants in to the membership or let's say one year, someone else wants into the membership. You have the token. There's none available. The value of it just went up if Cody and Noel go up in value. And so you're, what you're suggesting is that fans actually could monetize off of supporting a creator and carry social currency as well as actual monetary currency for supporting a creator through a digital token, through digital art, through you know, and it sort of provides some incentive for creators to make sure that their product continues to level up. Right. Right. That like this value accrues mm-hmm. over time. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I definitely see where this is all going. I think what's interesting is it comes at the same time as like the GameStop stuff where people just decided this was going to be the thing that had value or Dogecoin, which it was like the internet gets to decide what has value. And I think this is a strong shift of power to internet communities and to the internet as a place where property matters, where value matters, where influence matters a lot. And this moment with Beeple is going to accelerate it times 10. $70 million is no joke. With the royalty structure, this is now, not only is that sale price insane and he's created generational wealth for himself no matter what, he changed not only his life, but essentially his entire family's life like from his kids to his grandkids, everyone related to him is now winning. Yes, and art history and has an entirely new chapter. Yeah, he rewrote history books. He's like, everything is, has changed. But with the 10% kickback, let's just say in 20 years, this sells for $100 million, which it probably would sell for more in 20 years, right? Even think about the first issue he did of NFTs where he issued a hundred for a dollar that are now selling for 300,000. Every time they sell, he gets 10% just like that. Unbelievable. Also- Let's talk about the fact that he did this for 13 years without really making money from it. Yeah. Like talk about faith or just having enjoyment in a creative endeavor first so that you'll do it for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And then maybe monetization will come. For him, it came in a major, major way. When we talk about the creator economy and when when you hear that term creator economy, I think a lot of people think about TikTokers, think about Instagram creators. But there's this new economy that's emerging, which is just general internet artist, right? He's a visual artist that amassed a following on social platforms and then is able to monetize it in this very unique way. So I think the creator economy, that term is about to be expanded big time. Musicians, how they monetize, doesn't have to be the traditional way anymore. It doesn't have to be through record labels, through streaming services. Leon's a great example of that, right? Artists now. They don't have to monetize the traditional way either. They can do this stuff on their own. Like the creator economy essentially is going to start to mean people who are just bringing ideas to life online. And the investment of time online matters a lot. Like really building that following for 13 years, really cutting your teeth, like really investing that time. And offering value. I think one of the cool things about people is that he would offer up his project files from what I read Mm. of his 3D renderings. So that if you were interested in going in and learning yourself, adding something to it, you can have these as well. Like yeah. there are these new digital products coming about that have value. Like if we were to give people the opportunity to have the project file download of this exact video, mm. if you want to see how did we cut it? What effects mm. do we put 
on to make sure that it's colored correctly, that it sounds right. How we overlay our B-roll, like that project file, that project file would have value hmm. for certain types of people. Yeah. Like it's interesting. The last thing I'll say here around this is that I do think we have to be careful with what has value when it comes to creators. Specifically, Taylor Lorenz wrote an article and I read it in the Future Party this morning as well around this new app called the New New New, new, new yeah. uh, which feels like an episode of Black Mirror because it's just like- People can pay to vote on what you do with your everyday life. Like, should I have avocado toast mm-hmm. or should I have yogurt and granola? It's like those old YouTube videos of Instagram controls my life, but it's actually, hey, you can control it if you pay. We all just need to be careful of- where we put our money and what we attribute value to. Because especially with the NFT space, for a lot of us, it's moving really quickly. Like we made that video about NFTs a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And a lot of people are learning about what an NFT is for the first time. And a lot of money has been transacted. A lot of money yeah. has been transacted. So you do, I agree. You do have to be careful with all of this. Like the perceived value business is just that. It's perceived value. It's just, if you assign value to it, that's how much it's worth. Like that's the bottom line. And I think you shouldn't play around with any money you're not ready to, to lose. And you should really evaluate your emotional connection to the art and make sure that it provides value to you just as an emotional experience, not as an investment, right? But there is this new age we're about to enter into. And I think it'd be really great to hear from all of you, like, does this still feel kind of crazy to all of you? Because it's starting to make sense, but mainly because you and I talk about this every day. We live on the internet. We're like, but I know the people around me are like, what are you talking about, man? Oh, yeah. 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 So what camp are you in? What yeah. are you talking about? <laughs> or I'm starting to get it. And also, how much would you pay for an NFT? Well, I think it depends. That's a tough question. That's that like, is a tough question. That's like asking someone, how much would you pay for a sandwich? Well, what's on the sandwich? What's it going to do for me? Well, listen. You know what I mean? You can't just ask someone. Th- that feels totally different, man. I don't know. Because there's some sandwiches that I, would, I wouldn't even pay for. And then there's others where I think that's a really tasty sandwich. I've had it before. I would probably pay more than what they have it valued at. This feels like a good time to end the episode. That's over. The episode is officially over. officially over. So let us know what you guys think about what happened this week with the artist Beeple and selling his piece of art for $70 million. Do you believe in all of this? Is he just selling pixels? Is this real? Is this the future of the creator economy? 